Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, I am Drew Hubbard here with Josh Boland, but not as usual, we have a guest with us. Connor is joining the show, the guy who edits these podcasts, has made it on the podcast. Connor, how's it going, buddy? Uh, It's good, good. Uh, Doing pretty well up in Canada, because I'm not American like the other two, Uh, (laughs) so there will definitely be some differing opinions today. Yes, Connor Hailing from Toronto, TFC supporter, differing from the two Atlanta United guys, so it's good to have a different voice on there. How's how's quarantine been treating you, Connor? Uh, I'm decent. I'm an introvert as it is, so I don't really notice much difference. Uh, slogging through it and finally finished school last week, so yeah, I just got four months to kill now. Josh, how's the quarantine stash coming along? Is it still there? Oh yes, it is. It is still very much here, and uh, I've played around with the idea of shaving it off as well and going full baby face, but uh, haven't quite reached that point. So for now, it's gonna stick at least until I have to start showing my face in public again. That's awesome, Connor. Have do you have a quarantine stash? Like, is there any situation going on there with you? I can't grow facial hair. Uh, I can have a very very crappy mustache and a even worse goatee so i stay far far away from facial hair as much as possible but if i could grow i probably would so i'm very jealous (laughs) fair enough i was playing nba 2k16 because i watched the jordan documentary the last dance if you guys watched it so good nope but didn't get in canada until midnight last night oh bro it's so good did you watch it josh Yes, I was. I watched it uh, live when they were on showing them on ESPN. Yeah, I watched it, and I like wanted to play two K, but I have two K sixteen, so I started like my my career player over again, and I gave him the dopest looking mustache ever. But he still sucks. But it's a cool looking <laughs> mustache. He's got that going for him. Yeah, <laughs> he sucks at basketball. That's the entire point of making those players. Exactly, make him as bad as possible. And then just make them look cool so it looks pretty awesome on the game. So, Connor, you are our residential Canadian uh, TFC supporter. And last week, uh, the episode, a part of it was to name our Canadian men's national team 11 using only MLS players. And, Connor, I understand that me and Josh kind of botched it a little bit or we have you have some different takes for us. What did what did we mess up on here? Well, I have quite a different lineup than you guys, which I'll get into in a second. But first, we definitely need to correct some of the stuff you said. 
Uh, first of all, Drew, you put Raheem Edwards at center back. The farthest back I think he's ever played is potentially a f- wing back. And that was with Toronto FC when they're really playing a f- 3-5-2. So I'm not exactly confident in playing Raheem Edwards there, especially because he hasn't played for Canada in years. So there's that. So we need to correct that first of all, because wow, uh, there are some better options. Uh, other things, Josh, Jonathan David is in fact at Ghent in Belgium and is the most valuable player in Belgium. So let's not ignore that. And is currently being chased by a bunch of European teams, including Arsenal and Barcelona, I think. So quite I've, impressive. I've never heard of front. those clubs before. Oh yeah. You've never heard of those <laughs> clubs. Only the best, one of the best players in MLS playing for Toronto FC came from there. <laughs> but other than that, you were pretty decent. I respect the table pick. That was I that was a good call. I like that one. Thank you. However, Tosaint Ricketts it's not Tosaint, it's Tosaint. <laughs> Put some respect in the guy's name. He just tore up the like Justinian League. So throw a little respect there. That's really all I can remember off the top of my head. My eleven is a little bit different than yours. Again, Canada does have a really strong uh midfield, which I think it's very noticeable. But I think that their backline is a little underrated. It's still crap, but it's a little underrated. Uh, so starting goal, as both of you already had, and is the really only option for Canada, I have Maxime Crepeau. Because, frankly, he is decent, at least. Starts for Vancouver. Had a pretty decent year last year. He's still relatively young, so it's kind of an obvious option. Um then my backline was a little different because I decided to go with a back four. Uh, I t- went with, at right back, Richie Larea, who's the Toronto FC fullback winger who's got a very, very hot head. Uh, he tends to lose his cool quite a lot, which is a bit of a negative to his game, but he is good. He's still relatively young at like 25, maybe 26. Great player for TFC, by the way. Um, and yeah, he sort of made a name for himself in... Canada's starting 11, surprisingly, out of nowhere. So I feel like he's sort of got to be an obvious option. Uh, then at center backs, I went with Dejan Jakovic and Derek Cornelius. Uh, I believe you mentioned Jakovic Josh. I think it was or was yeah, it Josh? I had him yeah, as Josh. one of my center backs. Yeah, he's honestly underrated. Like he's 30 years old and he's been playing for Canada for a while. Um, really solid. I don't think he played against the U.S. when we beat you. Yes, I'm going to bring up that game a lot. Um, but again, he is decent. He still plays for LAFC, so you have to be good to be on LAFC. So, But again, another player from LAFC we'll get to soon. Uh, Derek Cornelius, big guy, another solid option. Like The center back situation for Canada has never been very good, and... Now in MLS, after Vancouver sold Daniel Henry to Korea, I believe, or some Korean team, it's gotten a lot worse, but what can you do? Canada's developing. They got Vince Dunn on the way, who's, I think, very, very promising member of Toronto FC. Uh, so hopefully they'll get better in the future, but I've, I'm holding my reservations. And then at left back, I have a weird one because I don't think either of you picked him. I went with Zachary Bro Gouillard, who is, I believe, the left back for Montreal. Uh, he's a young kid. He's only like 20. He's played for Canada before. And 
you'll notice a theme with my team is I've gone with young kids. I think he's going to be really good. Um, I think he'd be a really good fit in this starting 11. I like his play style. I like the fact that he is playing on a team like Montreal in a tough market like Montreal because, again, Montreal, if you don't know anything about their sports landscape, those fans are incredibly tough on the players. Like Montreal, Canadians, and the Expos obviously left because fans weren't going to games. And that's sort of a trend in Montreal where if teams aren't doing well, they just don't go. So the fact that he's able to stick at such a young age in a lineup like that, I think is really impressive and he deserves to be in this MLS 11. Uh, And then I move on to the midfield where I decided to go with this formation. I went with a 4-2-3-1, which I think is a bit of a different choice because I don't know if Canada's ever played it before. Uh, Obviously, because they have Davies and they have Jonathan David and they have Junior Hoylett and a bunch of other quality players from Europe. Um, But I think that they were... This MLS especially is incredibly strong in this department. So in at the DM spots, I went with Samuel Piet, uh, as also from Montreal. I believe he was in both of your picks, obviously, because frankly, he's really, really good and could very possibly go back to Europe, which was I know was rumored a little while ago. Uh, so again, he's just a staple in Canada's squad. He's still, again, relatively young, as you'll sort of notice as a theme in this roster. Uh, I think the oldest player might be Yakovic, and he's only like 30, so... When you compare that to the U.S., where you have Michael Bradley, who's like 33, um, Altador, who's getting up there, and a bunch of uh, your other picks, I think it's Canada's a much younger squad and holds a lot more promise for 2026, in my opinion, uh, which is followed up by my next pick, which is our first member of Toronto FC, Liam Fraser. So Fraser's a really interesting player, in my opinion, because... He's someone who hasn't necessarily made a name for himself in MLS, mostly because he's stuck behind Michael Bradley on Toronto FC. He's incredible. He's got incredible quality. His leadership ability has been very, very apparent in the few games that he's played for Toronto. He's also a very good distributor of play. He's got a lot of energy. And I think he's going to be a staple in MLS's roster for years to come. And it's probably better to get him in now than it is to get him in the future. Uh, and just overall, like he's come from, he, I want to say he was in Tottenham's system, although I might be wrong. I know it was an English team, uh, before he joined, uh, Toronto FC's Academy and just his quality and his familiarity with, uh, Richard Larea and the other guys who, other guy, other guys who I'll get to, I feel like he's sort of really underrated in terms of fitting into this Canada squad. Uh, so I guess I'll follow up. Uh, Fraser with my only other non-Toronto FC member of this Cana- my Canadian team in Mark Anthony K. Like, what is there not to say about Mark Anthony K? The guy is unbelievable. He's got so much quality. His leadership, his work rate, his everything is just phenomenal. Like when he left in that U.S. Canada game, you noticed it. Um, but again, they were able to rebound, thankfully, and uh, they finally got that win, which felt so good when I was there. Um, but yeah, hes I feel like he'd be a sort of good in a central cam role where he can sort of roam the midfield and uh, fill it with a lot of energy and be a bit of a workhorse, uh, fill in between 
Fraser and Piet on when defending and be a bit of a distributor between the cam, uh, my two wide cams and the two DMs. Uh, and then the two wide cams that I have are, again, as I mentioned, two Toronto FC members. First one is, again, obvious in Jonathan Osorio. Osorio is probably the best. I'd probably go out and say that he's the best player on this list behind maybe the striker uh, that I've picked. He's got so much quality. Out at left cam, he'd be perfect. You can see it at Toronto FC. He is an attacking midfielder. He has, a, again, as I mentioned, a ton of energy. His distribution is incredible. He's really good on the ball. He does struggle at times, but he's just such a leader and such a dominant force in the midfield that I think it's almost impossible not to have him in this 11 and not to have him as one of your top three Canadian players in MLS, period. Uh, and then my final attacking midfielder is somebody you two probably haven't heard of, and his name is Jaden Nelson. Nope. So Jaden Nelson is a 17-year-old, maybe 18 now, in Toronto FC's academy. He made his debut la- earlier this year, I believe, uh, and scored in his debut. He's a bit of a winger, midfielder, striker combo. He's just so, so good. His work rate's really good. He's very pacey, which would fit in well uh, and add another element to this sort of slowish Canadian team because that is one of the things that Canada lacks apart from Richie. And I'm not sure about Zachary Brogillard. There isn't much pace in this lineup. And I think having somebody like him would be really, really helpful for Canada's um, attack and having that extra option to get back really quickly in the event of um, the opposition counterattacking. And to potentially join my striker and Lucas Cavallini. Uh, Cavallini, again, joined Toronto, uh, not Toronto, sorry, Vancouver this offseason for Mexico in a huge deal. Uh, he's so good. He scored on that U.S. Uh, win over, or Canada win over U.S. If you've noticed the theme, that game meant a lot to me. Uh, um, but again, he's incredibly quality. You could see it with the volley. He scored uh, in the 90th minute uh, in that game. He's just a dime, like dynamo striker, really, really good. Would add a really good element to an attacking force that Toronto doesn't necessarily, or not Toronto, Canada doesn't necessarily have. But he's somebody who you definitely need in a roster like this, just to add that really dangerous threat up top. It was tough not including, as I mentioned earlier, Saint Ricketts, uh, because he's been so good for Canada and so good for Vancouver and Toronto over the years. Uh, it was also tough not including guys like Russell Tybert um, and a number of other players who have been incredibly influential for Canada, especially in the midfield where Toronto or Canada is incredibly dominant. Um, and there's a lot of future, a very positive future. And it was actually really difficult for me to make these choices because I think unlike the U S it isn't necessarily one solid player in every position. It's sort of a cluster of pretty decently talented guys, but no real superstars, which is a bit of a flaw in the MLS side of Canada, like these players, but that's because they all play in Europe, which I think is a really good sign for Canada's development and something that the U.S. is starting to do well with moving guys like DeAndre Yedlin, uh, Sargent, Pulisic, 
all those guys being able to go to Europe. It's just something that MLS teams have to start doing a little bit better job of that I think Canadians have successfully done, especially when you look at Alfonso Davies, who signed that contract extension with Bayern today, which is just huge. Um, but again, I'm coming from a very Canadian Toronto FC bias, so I don't know if Jaden Nelson should be in this team. You could argue Russell Tybert or Will Johnson deserve a spot instead, but it's what I've picked. Uh, I think it's just a really, really beneficial lineup for uh, Canada. I think it fits really well into what style of play they use um, and would be a really good stopgap in the event that European teams don't let Canadian players leave. I think there's a strong argument to be made for Balutabla over Jaden Nelson, but um, I think that's still a, a good shout anyway. I, you know, you mentioned him scoring for Toronto in his debut match, and I do remember that. He's such a young kid. So, yeah, good shout on that. Although, like I said, I, I think... I mean, Tablo's only, what, a year or two older than Nelson? But maybe a little bit more experience on his end. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I Again, I'm looking at this from a TFC point of view, as I've mentioned. I think it's really important to point out that bias because obviously Toronto FC fans are not exactly supporters of Montreal. Um, but yeah, Bello Tablo definitely has a very... It was hard not to put... Him in. I really wanted to include Jaden Nelson just to bring him up because I don't think he gets enough credit as a young Canadian star, potential talent for years to come who could end up being an unbelievable player in Europe. So was the game when Canada beat the U.S., was that game in Toronto? Was that at BMO? Yeah, that was at BMO, which, as I mentioned, I was at, which was nuts. The anxiety from about halftime on was unbearable. <laughs> Did you expect Canada to win that game? Was that a shock to you? No. <laughs> no way. Dude, I expected them to get killed. Like, Canada hadn't won against the U.S. in, I think it was 30 years. It was back in the 80s the last time they'd done it. And this wasn't some... Like, it was a good Canada team, but again, it didn't have Atiba Hutchinson. He wasn't even playing, which is one of our best defensive midfielders and one of our most experienced players so not having him was a huge loss and then losing mark anthony k like 20 minutes into the match they, they, like there was no expectation there and when they actually cavallini finally scored on the 90th minute you could feel the relief and the excitement enter the stadium which i hadn't felt ever like apart from maybe 2017 mls cup or canada cup games canadian championship games against montreal that feeling is just so good, which you never feel as a Toronto or Canadian supporter. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, how what? Where were you, where were your seats at? Like, were you super close? I know BMO isn't the biggest field in the world, right? Like stadium wise, it's not that big, is it? I think it seats around thirty six thousand, uh, so it's not exactly tiny, but it's also not huge. Uh, I was actually sitting. We got really good seats right before the game. We were almost on the halfway line, like front row field level. So it was just nuts. Um, like, yeah, it was just insane. I never sat in seats like that before. And to do it in that game was just so cool. Sounds like a uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see Canada beat yeah. the U.S. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far because I think it's going to happen a lot more in the future. But, 
You never know. Canada has struggled in the past in all sports. So if it ain't hockey, we just got to hope and pray. I, I will say, you know, I think you're right. I think there will be a few more Canadian wins from, a, you know, in soccer. I think there's such a belief in North America, especially when international talk comes up from an MLS perspective, that Canada just has so much young talent and potential. You know, there's there's so many solid players in, in all of these 11s that we did for Canada. And again, we, we didn't even get to include David and Davies and Hoylet and many others too. There's, there's a few others playing in Europe. So that's just the beginning of things. And now you've got guys like uh, Jaden Nelson coming up and hopefully uh, Tabla and a few other young guys to, to help with that. So I'm, I'm sure Canada will probably beat the U.S. a few more times before it's all said and done. Yeah, this is like a golden age for Canadian soccer. Like, we haven't seen this since the last time we made the World Cup, and that was like 20 years before I was even born. So it's just, it's nuts to see it now, especially when, like, again, like 10 years ago, you never would have thought that Canada would be beating the U.S., who were going a round of 16s at the World Cup. Man, round of 16 days. I miss those. That was a good time. Yeah, I think it is cool. I think this rivalry is going to develop. And, like, I think specifically on the women's side, like how both the U.S. and Canada are super competitive. And while the U.S. has had the edge on them for a while, that gap is so close. And I think Canada, for the men's side of it, I think that gap is shrinking very much. And it's exciting. It's kind of scary from the U.S. perspective. But I think it's so cool to see Canada kind of jump in on this north american rivalry that i think oftentimes people just think it's u.s mexico so it's really cool seeing canada kind of put their name in the hat yeah especially when you compare to the populations like canada's only what around 36 million people which is like the size of california so the fact that we're at least competing in international soccer on both men's and women's side in against the u.s and mexico is just it's unbelievable it's unheard of it's it's just almost as shocking as the fact that MLS going full in on esports. Like you never would have seen that coming. Yeah, it is cool. And yeah, speaking of MLS esports, we just had our first round of the tournament special. And Josh, I hate to break it to you, but your predictions, you went 0 for 2, buddy. Oh. <laughs> Hold on a second. I picked LAFC to win. Thank you very much. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, man. Okay. I went I went age on that one. I thought that him being a little bit younger than Chicharito was going to help him out. Granted, that's not at all how LAFC won. I, I did get that one right. I was very wrong on the Kendall Waston thing, though. He needed his EMLS guy, um, FCC Fiddle, to help bail him out in a very, very late comeback. But... I, I was very wrong about that one, but I did get LAFC right. So a little credit there. So I was 0 for 2. Man, I got them both wrong. Godfather and Chicharito failed me. Dang, I just oh, I just remembered I picked the Galaxy. My whole day is ruined <laughs> now. Gosh, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm the worst at March Madness with all my friends, and I thought this was going to be my bounce back, but this is even worse than March Madness. Goodness, but as a Canadian who doesn't follow college sports, I can second that. 
I picked Virginia to win the championship the one year, the first year, a 16 beat a one. So I have no luck on brackets, but that's beside the point. Yeah, rough year. But so, yeah, first week is done. Uh, Chicago beat Cincinnati. Calvo beat Waston with their respected EMLS players. Diamande beat Chicharito, um, both with their EMLS players. But Sunday, we get Sporting Kansas City and SKC going at it. Uh, Josh, who do you have winning between those two teams? Yeah, so Minnesota's got Tyler Miller, goalkeeper, and uh, their EMLS guy, Jay Adams, versus uh, Sporting Kansas City's midfielder, Juan Cousin, and their EMLS guy, Alexander. So I actually had to do a slight bit of research on this. Now, last week I said I'd pick based on how I think the players would do on the field, which is why I picked Waston. I was, when it came to to FIFA, I mean, Calvo kicked Waston's butt, but on the field, I think Waston could take him. I'm going to have to switch up my pick this week. I want, I want to get it right. So I'm going to, while I think Tyler Miller has more talent on the field than Juan Cousin, I'm going to pick Juan Cousin. Uh, so... Fun fact, he actually, so first of all, he's a young guy. He's only 21 years old. Um, definitely, I don't know much about him. He's obviously one of the younger SKC players. I'm sure he'll be getting a lot more time in the next few years as some of the older guys uh, finish their careers. But that being said, uh, Fox Sports actually did an article on Kuzain. Uh Four years ago when he was just 17, he played FIFA against former NFL player Chad Johnson. Uh, and for those who don't know, Chad Johnson, formerly known as Chad Ochocinco for a while, he's a very avid FIFA player and a very big soccer fan. And uh, I actually know from a friend that Johnson likes to go around and in the cities he's in, he'll invite locals to face off against him in FIFA. And uh, two summers ago, one of my friends, someone that I know, actually uh, made it to play Chad Johnson. He did beat Chad Johnson, but four years ago, same thing happened to Kuzain, and he beat Chad Johnson. So I can only imagine how much better Kuzain is now after four years, and because of that, I'm going to go ahead and give the edge to Kuzain. It really seemed like the actual MLS players through, through this first week, even though it was just two teams, two matchups, it seemed like the actual MLS players had a huge effect over who won. Uh, Calvo actually beat Waston in an extra time golden goal situation to help put them through. And then Diomande scored what was actually an incredible goal with himself in the video game. It was very, very funny. Uh, He got the opening goal and that really led to Remy Martin, his EMLS guy blowing the doors off of Godfather. But because of that, I'm going to go with Kuzain. I think he's got more experience than Miller in the FIFA realm. And I think that's going to be enough to help, have Kansas City go over Minnesota United. So that's who I'm going to pick for this first game. Yeah, I'm joining you on the SKC bandwagon. Um, So probably means we're going to get it wrong, but at least we'll get it wrong together. But I have no standard by which I'm making this pick just because just this guy's Alexander spells it with a Z, and I'm all for that against a guy named Jay Adams is the most basic name (laughs) in the world. So I'm picking SKC. But after watching those games, do you think you could take some of these guys on FIFA? I don't know how good you are on FIFA, but you think you got a shot? Uh, 
Sometimes, yes. I, I there were times when I felt like I could convince myself that I could take these guys just from some of their their passing. I, I feel like I could take some of the MLS guys. Like Chicharito was was pretty awful, if I'm being honest. Um, and so was Watson. Kendall Watson was pretty bad as well. So there there were some passing decisions that they would make every now and then where I was just like, come on, like just just play soccer, like. Just play basic soccer. Play the ball into space a little more. You do this all the time. <laughs> exactly. It seemed like they were trying to take too, compli- too complicated of an approach. So I-, I think I could handle some of the MLS guys, uh, especially the-, the ones from last week. Uh, that might change over time as we progress over these next couple weeks. Uh, but I I will say that the first EMLS matchup between uh, – BITW7 for Chicago and Fiddle for FC Cincinnati. It was really cagey. It took until like the last five minutes of the game for anybody to score. And for a while, like I was convincing myself, oh, how are these guys even that good? But that's a that's a fool's errand. So I, I won't really entertain that. But the regular MLS guys, eh, maybe. Yeah, I feel the same way. They started doing all these cutbacks and stuff, and I was like, "Oh boy, this is this is uncharted water for me." Connor, how are you on FIFA? I know I know Canada didn't get it, which is really lame. But how do you feel? You could take someone on FIFA. Like, how good are you? Uh, I played for the first time this year Foot Champions this past weekend, and I went. What was it? Nineteen and eleven. Or 11 and 9. I won 11 games, which is the most I've ever won on Foot Champions. So I'm pretty trash. Um, so I definitely couldn't take any of the pros. They're way, way, way too good. I'd have to see how good guys like Watson and or Waston and Calvo are, but I'd say odds are I can't. Uh, just purely off the fact that they know soccer so much better than I do. Uh, they can actually see play, whereas I just run up the field and try to score. Um but I am actually following both of you in my pick. I am going with Juan Cousin, uh this weekend, mostly because the way that I've made my picks is I'm picking the guy who's lesser known for their teams because those are the guys who I imagine will be better at FIFA because they're not just picking the best, most famous player. They're picking the guy who actually might be good at the game, uh, which is why a team like I think Atlanta could do very well because... Franco Escobar, frankly, isn't that well-known, although that's for two weeks from now. So I'm sure you'll talk about that then. Maybe we'll talk about that then. We'll see. But, yeah, I'm going with Juan Cousin again just because he's not as well-known, whereas Tyler Miller is semi-well-known. Um, but then the other game, uh, I went with a bit of an interesting pick. I went with Paul Areola. My reasoning behind this is I believe he's been injured for a while, Correct. Yeah, he he tore his ACL in preseason, so he was actually announced out for the season before teams started preparing for their their first competitive games. That's what I thought. So my theory is he's been at home a lot. (laughs) So he's probably played, if he does play FIFA, a lot of FIFA. Which my theory behind this is... That's that's exactly my thought process as well, Connor. I thought to myself, you know what, Ariola's been injured. He's got to be been doing something while he's been sitting down. It's not like he can get up and move around that easily. Yeah, it's just like if you're hurt and you're not able to play actual soccer and you can barely move around, what else are you going to do? There's only so much Netflix you can watch, so. 
Now, conversely, he might have been so upset about the injury that he tried to stay away from soccer for a little bit, and he might be dusting off the chops for this game. That's something I haven't thought about. That's actually a good theory. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup because I don't know how good Fagundes is. And I also know nothing about their two pros. Um, the only pro I know a little bit about is, uh, who was it? Uh, Kid Mamito and TFC's guy. So I'm literally just picking whoever I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm joining you guys with Paul Ariola. I think that's a good point. with Because everyone's been at home for a while, obviously, with the whole virus. But he's gotten he got a he got an edge on the staying home game, so I think I'm gonna pick Ariel as well. Um, yeah, so we we have the same picks this week. That's so lame. We're the worst. We all three <laughs> have Sporting Kansas City and DC going through. You know what? So either we're all gonna be right. I'll go ahead and change mine. I'll pick uh, New England to go through. Do it. I'm just I'm. You know what? Yes. JKO. He's only got three letters in his name, <laughs> and that's definitely cooler <laughs> than King CJ. So I'm, I'm going to give him, like, maybe Ariola is going to try to put DC on his back, but it's not going to matter because JKO is going to come in there and just handle business. Do either of Ariola or Fagundes have children? That is a good question. I don't know. That's a great question. Because if they have kids, odds are they're not playing a lot of FIFA. <laughs> this, this is getting way too deep at this point, and we're thinking way too much about their personal lives. But <laughs> if you have kids theoretically you're not going to be able to play as much video games so that might be a giveaway in this case of again a franco escobar and nani because i assume nani has kids although i don't know for sure atlanta media has been like talking up franco escobar's fifa ability so i think he's pretty good when we get to that day i think he's a baller but i really don't know but what if, like, Paul Ariola, like, what if his player gets hurt during the game? Oh, my God. Like, he is in real life. That would, would be, like, would he even be the available? worst thing That's ever. That's what I was going to wonder because I was thinking about, you know, how updated the rosters are. Now, that was a, another interesting thing. So, in FIFA, when you go to play someone else in the game, you can set the squads to be even in terms of overall um, rating. But it looked like from when the players were selecting their tactics for each game, it looked like they were going off of whatever the most updated ratings were, in which case, usually they they stick the injured guys low in the depth chart. So I don't even know if Ariel is going to be available for selection in the video game. So that's something that dawned on me, and I, I guess we'll find out over in, in this next week. Yeah, it could be a huge hit to DC's potential uh, in the game. It also depends on if they still have Wayne Rooney or not, because that's an automatic huge boost in FIFA. That's a good point. I didn't even think about like the teams themselves, because LAFC's got Chicago, and I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. And Toronto's playing Vancouver, and I love the Whitecaps, but I don't think that team's as level with Toronto. So that's a good point. Sorry, but Pablo Piatti and Michael Bradley may not be, be available for Toronto. So then you run into the issue of who do you play instead of them? Do you play Ifuniachi or Ifuninachi Achara and Fraser? What do you do? It's There is so much involved in this EMLS stuff that I wish I could watch. It's just such a good filler instead of current MLS action. 
Yeah, it's definitely something cool to get into. But like you mentioned, it's a really good filler as we're all taking this break. Um, But the league did make a statement about like a specific date. And I know, Josh, we talked a lot about how you wanted like a specific date to point to for the league returning. And um, the league made a release on April 17th this past Friday saying that the league is suspending play. And they said June 8th was the earliest day that they were looking at. So we have both top tier divisions, the NWSL looking at June 27th and MLS looking at June 8th. Um, We talked about the NWSL day in an earlier episode, so we're going to focus on this MLS June 8th. Josh, we've talked a lot about, we're both pretty pessimistic about the league returning. Did this release and this aiming at June 8th, did that make you feel any better about this year happening? Not at all, no. Um, I think it's part of the league's responsibility to update its fans so I understand putting out a release and saying, you know, this is the new date that's been pushed back to. That being said, I can only envision in a few weeks them pushing the date back even further. And again, we're running out of time to where you can feasibly fit in all the games. Even if it's in a central location, if you're trying to fit in another 32 games over X amount of time over a shortened season, you run a severe risk of injury and exhaustion and that's just going to drive down the overall product of the play. Granted, people will probably be pretty desperate by then to watch sports, so the league may have that going in its favor. But we, you know, we've also talked a bunch of times about players not even wanting to play in front of fans, and we've talked about how we don't really want there to be matches taking place in front of uh, without fans. So, like I said, I. I I don't think this really helps the situation that much. They're just doing their job by updating their customers, their fans, and saying it can't happen until June 8th. That's the newest That's this, the newest update that they have so far. Yeah, this really isn't a realistic date, in my opinion. Like, you just, you look at, in Canada alone, Quebec has suspended all uh, large gatherings until August 31st. So that's going to be no games with Montreal Impact with fans until at the very earliest August 31st. Toronto's done a similar thing where they've announced it'll be until June 31st or June 30th, however many days there are in June. Um, So I'd say I'm not expecting MLS to come back this season. I think that they'll just scrap the season as a whole, pay the players what they should get paid and just start next year fresh because I think it's too complicated legally to do the idea that Josh came up with last week, which is just defer this entire season to next year because you already have dates written in a contract and you have player options. And it's just something that I don't think the players will go for, especially at the added risk of injury when they could feasibly get paid this season and then earn another contract next season. I just I don't see MLS returning anytime soon. Yeah, I think we're all in the same boat about that. Um, as bad and as much as it sucks, it's just so hard to try and fit a full season into 2020 and everything that comes along with that. Um, but that's an interesting point because in 2021, we get expansion again. So do you think having this season, like Connor, you said, and we were all kind of in the same boat, just scrapping this season, is that going to 
kind of play a factor in expansion for next year? Is this going to do anything about that? I don't think so. I think it's expansion's going to happen either way. It's like the same thing in the NHL where they're having Seattle is getting a team in, I want to say next year, maybe the year after that. Um, so I don't think it'll, like anything. if anything, it'll potentially hurt the team coming in because they may not be able to have fans right away. But like, it shouldn't affect anything. Like It's already a set in stone. They're coming for this season. And as long as you don't do anything funky with the season, it shouldn't really change anything, in my opinion. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I, you know, first of all, I think bringing up the expansion is a good point. I don't really think anybody's mentioned that so far. Then again, I'm not sure anybody's really entertaining the idea of putting the season on hold until next year. That being said, it seems... If MLS really wants to keep expansion on track in a responsible way, it kind of seems like they need to start adjusting the schedule. And again, we talked about how putting them on a European schedule, it just doesn't work with the the different extremes and climates around North America that MLS deals with. That being said, oh yeah, you know, yeah, especially up in Canada. Um, that being said, I mean, maybe, maybe. MLS could look at the way the Bundesliga does things, where they take a large month-long winter break. And maybe MLS could do something along those lines, maybe even do six weeks instead of just four weeks, which I think is what the Bundesliga does. So that might be something that they start to toy with um, and, and, and play around with just to keep expansion on track. Because, I mean, I guess, I guess... Worst case scenario is MLS just voids this season and then starts over in a 2021 season where they enter in Charlotte and Austin almost as if nothing happened. And nobody really wants that. But again, they're running out of time to fit in this whole whole season, and I don't see them moving into the different calendar. So, I I mean, bringing up expansion is a good point, and... then there's so many other things to think about. You know, what is what is Adidas going to do with the jerseys and the gear that's been produced for this year? And that so many so many other logistical things to deal with. Scheduling wherever these games are going to be played, even if it's in a centralized location, that's still something that has to be taken into account as well. So, I mean, now if, I don't know if any of you noticed, Charlotte is still plugging along. They just announced some hires last week. I want to say. Uh, they got someone from Atlanta United's Academy, I can't remember who it was, uh, to join their front office and some of their youth development stuff. And they also announced a few foreign scouts that they signed to join their team. So Charlotte's still going on. They're still planning for their next season. But I really don't know how it's going to affect those expansion teams until MLS finds a set concrete date to either come back, whether it's this year or next year. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think one of the biggest issues with your Bundesliga idea is Canada's winners suck so much that doing like if you even if you put in a 90-day break between December and February, it's still not really going to work because we had snow here literally last week. So like March and April is already early for Canada. Never mind putting it into February or January. 
I've been I was at that 2017 and 2016 MLS Cup games and I can tell you it is unbelievably cold and that's not even the worst part of our winter. So I think you run into that issue there. I, their best option in my opinion is just shutting the season down and saying, "Look, we're going to have to take this loss because of these unprecedented circumstances. We are going to ask you guys to take a little bit less ser- salary." In exchange for the fact that you don't have to play games, you don't risk injury, and there is really, you just get a free paycheck, basically. Uh, It'll hurt the teams, obviously, but a lot of these teams are owned by billionaires and a couple million, which is what most MLS teams pay. What It's like a $4 million salary cap with DPs. It could go up to, if you're Toronto FC, like $20 million. That's like pennies to these organizations so just scrapping the season and hoping for the best in my opinion is the best solution and just waiting for a vaccine because right now you don't have any other option yeah that is a good point i can't even imagine what it's like a canada winter like i don't even know i we were at i was at the 2018 mls cup final in atlanta and josh i don't know if you were there but it was just like cold and rainy but I can't even imagine what that playing a game mid-February BMO Field, which I guess Vancouver has kind of, they're kind of in a dome. I've been in BC Place once, and I don't remember it BC too Place well. can convert to an indoor stadium. Montreal, I believe, plays in can play in an indoor stadium in Olympic uh, Arena, I think it is, something like Olympic Stadium, uh, but that's turf. Toronto FC is basically just in the open, so when you play games there like again we're also discounting the fact that new york gets crazy cold minnesota gets crazy cold like it's not just canada that you have to worry about it's not one team that is going to struggle immensely and potentially give all their fans frostbite it's a lot of different stadiums and a ton of different fans who probably won't exactly be supportive of playing games in february where you have to wear 14 layers in order to not freeze to death yeah, that is a good point. It's going to be interesting to see how MLS handles things or they scrap a season. Um, because, yeah, like I mentioned, MLS is getting expansion with Charlotte and Austin coming in 2021. And even NWSL is getting Louisville in 2021. So both leagues having to deal with this dilemma of do you play the 2020 season? And then what does that do with new teams coming in? So it'll be interesting. Um, it's like, yeah, like you said, Connor, it's pretty unprecedented and no one really knows what to do because no one's ever seen anything like this. Um, but yeah, we'll just wait and see. But MLS is not the only one that is changing things around. Um, new U.S. soccer CEO Will Wilson um, laid off a lot of USSF employees and pay cuts going around the organization, um, which I think when you look at organizations, this is kind of like a thing, a continuous theme that's been happening. You have people unfortunately being laid off and pay cuts are coming and then U.S. soccer uh, finally getting that happened to them. And it's kind of unfortunate for Will Wilson because we just talked about him getting hired not too long ago. So this is kind of terrible timing for him um, getting into this new position. Was that, was it a surprise to you guys when you saw U.S. soccer taking all these hits from the virus? I mean, no, like you said, at this point, this is just so wide ranging in its effects, this virus and this pandemic that, with all these layoffs happening at so many companies and so many businesses just going out of business permanently with this, it's, it's almost become a, a when situation for everyone instead of an if situation. 
Uh, that being said, uh, my biggest issue with this is I think the Federation needs to write by its employees in the long term and work on bringing as many people back as possible once things return to some sort of normalcy. I don't want the Federation to use this as an excuse to downsize what they're doing because in a country this large, you just can't do that. And so I, I understand the reality and that they have to lay off these people from a financial standpoint. I And, you know, it should be mentioned that Wilson also took, I believe, a 50% pay cut on his salary, which I think is a, a good show of faith. Um, but that being said, I, I just hope that they don't use this as an excuse to keep people fired to keep people laid off for a really 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 long time or to just downsize entirely yeah i don't yeah like we mentioned what'd you get connor uh i i was just gonna say i don't know much about u.s soccer because again i'm canadian if i haven't mentioned that enough that enough on this podcast (laughs) um so it's not really surprising it's just following a trend of other organizations who are trying not to lose as much money as possible and if I remember from the previous podcast you guys have done, they're already in a poor financial position. So adding on the fact that they can't bring in basically any revenue, it was just sort of inevitable at that point. Drew, what do you think is an actual U.S. soccer supporter who actually follows the league and the development and all that fun stuff that goes along with national sport programs? Yeah, I think I'm I'm with Josh on this. Like, I think, you know, the U.S. soccer, like you mentioned, is in a really poor position already financially. And like we talked about in previous podcast episodes, just everything as a whole, even we mentioned like Glassdoor reviews about not being a good environment to work in. And Will Wilson kind of just jumped into that, um, into a really tough spot and didn't know at the time what was coming for him, right? I mean, this is no one saw this coming at all. So he's jumping in in a really hard job, already difficult. And then you add on something that's never, we've never seen in history. So he's in probably the toughest spot that he could possibly be in as soon as he gets here. But yeah, like it's honestly, when I, when I, when the news broke, it was kind of a surprise that this hadn't already happened just because like we mentioned, this unfortunately is kind of across the board with organizations taking pay cuts and laying people off. And I did really like to see, um, that Wilson was leading the way, taking a 50% pay cut. That was really good show, show of leadership, I think, and really sent out a good picture of U.S. soccer that um, needs a good picture of themselves very much. But it was, again, it's it's an unfortunate thing that it's not a surprise in this situation, but I was very impressed um, with Will Wilson and taking that pay cut and in a really new position in a really new time, not using that as an excuse to kind of hide behind this disease and this virus but i thought he did a really good show of leadership um taking that pay cut and again we hope once all this settles whenever that may be that these people get hired back um in u.s soccer can keep going forward like kind of exciting times for u.s soccer um really important times here in a couple few years with international competitions that were set to be scheduled Uh, we don't know if that's going to happen with 2022 and now the olympics getting postponed um, so it's a pretty pivotal time for U.S. soccer, I think, and to have this happen was a major downfall. So when all this 
goes over whenever that may be. Um, it will be exciting and it'll be interesting to see what U.S. soccer does, both on the field and then in the office building, hopefully hiring these people back and getting everything back to normal. So that's what I think. Um, but again, Wilson's in such a tough spot and you got to feel sorry for him. I mean, a new job, a really big job under a lot of scrutiny. And he gets a massive virus, which no one has really ever seen before. So do you guys think that they handled this well? Or do you think they could have done a better job in potentially not even laying off people and just having him and the very upper members of the U.S. Soccer Federation taking 100% pay cuts to potentially limit the risk as opposed to laying off the employees? Uh, for me, my biggest issue with the announcement surrounding all this was the Development Academy because there were people reporting the closing of the Development Academy about a week before the news was made official. And that news, I believe, was made official in Will Wilson's letter when he stated about the other furloughs and him taking the pay cut. So I feel like they could have gotten out in front of that a little bit sooner. Um, so that was a little disappointing from that standpoint. And then in terms of the pay cut itself, personally, I don't know how much the CEO makes and I think that needs to be taken in perspective because at the end of the day, like Drew said, I mean, this is someone who's just now getting into this job and just now taking this job. I assume that Will Wilson is fine financially. Uh, that being said, again, he just got into this new job. And depending on how much the job pays, 50% might have been the right amount as a show of good faith while also helping him keep his job. But Again, it depends, and I don't have those numbers in front of me to really make a proper judgment on whether or not that was the right amount. Yeah, it's hard to make a clear-cut statement about what they should have or should not have done when you don't know um, these guys' salaries, but it's a tough one for sure. And, you know, obviously we, no one wants to see anyone get laid off. So, but it's it's an unfortunate time, and yeah, I think I'm right with Josh on that one. It's hard to make a decision whether... Will Wilson acted in the right and was a good showed good leadership by taking that pay cut because we don't know how much the guy makes. And like you said, I assume the CEO of U.S. Soccer is not struggling financially. Um, but you, we like to think that U.S. Soccer is doing the best that they can to keep their employees in a good position um, while also doing what's best for the organization as a whole financially. Because like we said, they're in a pretty tough financial situation. So. Again, it's hard to make a clear-cut statement, and you don't want to say that they're acting wrong when you don't have all the facts. So I think it's a tough one to say whether U.S. soccer did was in the right by doing this. Yeah, that's fair. And then I guess after the layoffs, they again and announced the same thing as Josh. You just mentioned that they closed the development academy, which I think came as a bit of a shock, but it wasn't necessarily as much of a shock as people initially thought. Were you guys surprised that it happened? This like now, do you think it? was too abrupt in their announcement in terms of just saying everything's stopping this date. That's that. It was, I think I was, I was surprised by it. Cause again, it's one of those things where I didn't even think about when I'm thinking about, Oh, like what all is closing? What's all shutting down? The last thing that came to my mind is the U S soccer development Academy. But I think Josh mentioned it. Like it had been reported for a while that when the official release came out, it was kind of just like, okay, we know this has happened. This isn't a shocker. Um, 
So because of that, because of the kind of the reporting before it became official, when it actually happened, it wasn't too much of a surprise because you got a lot of really good sources reporting on the same thing. So I wasn't taken back in shock when it happened um, because it had kind of been leaked for a while. But it was it kind of it was a tough one to handle. But there's just so much that goes on in the Development Academy, and people are already starting to move pieces around to help kind of substitute for that and try to make something better than the Development Academy. So it wasn't too much of a shock for me. It wasn't too much of a blow, but that was just me. Um, I know a lot of people are on very different sides of that argument. Josh, what was your reaction when that happened? Uh, I'm basically on the same page as you, Drew. I, you know, I think objectively it is abrupt, especially the way – they say it in the statement, you know, it's just done. It's over. No more development academy. And that means people losing jobs. And that means kids losing opportunities. That being said, you know, MLS jumped in like almost immediately after with basically their version of the U.S. Soccer Development Academy. And the league announced that they would be absorbing some of those non-MLS academy teams. That being said, there's no details as to whether or not those people that had jobs with the D.A., will have jobs with this new MLS Youth League. And, you know, that's when you have to look at this from a very human perspective and understand that these people's worlds are getting just completely flipped upside down, even more so than normal with the pandemic itself. So hopefully this new and improved Youth League from MLS really benefits everyone involved in the U.S., especially those that just lost their job or are in shock from the DA closing. But that being said, we just don't really know. There haven't been a ton of details released yet. And obviously we're going to have to wait and see how things function once the league actually gets up and running. But I do think that that did help soften things just a little bit, especially after how abrupt the statement itself was. Yeah. I know the allocation disorder. I was listening to that. I only got about halfway through it today and Sam and Paul were talking about it. Uh, they said that a few MLS teams have been kind of pushing to get out of the DA either way recently. So I think they probably already had some sort of idea set up about what they could potentially do and what they were hopefully going to do. Um, initially, they thought it was going to be just the uh, MLS teams and not anybody else. But now they're sort of opening it up, which I think will help a lot with U.S. soccer's development program by allowing non-MLS-affiliated teams to compete and just up the talent pool even more than it already is. So do you guys think that MLS, their new academy league, should include non-MLS teams? Or do you think it should be just specifically for MLS so that they can completely control who plays who, when they play, and just how everything's set up? I think there can be a happy medium between those things. I think that in order to include as many people as possible and to, or in order to give as many kids a, an opportunity as possible, I think MLS should try to include the non-MLS academy teams. Now, another thing to factor in is each individual market, you know, for Southern California, for the LA teams, it's going to be different than for, say, Colorado, it may make more sense for Colorado to have just its MLS youth set up and not and, and go ahead and absorb the other non-MLS affiliated 
teams, assuming that there are less in that market than there are in the Southern California market. Uh, so I think hopefully MLS allows it on a case-by-case basis with each market. They are going to know what's best because they hopefully have their eyes and ears on the ground and understand their market better than, say, the league does as a whole. So instead of enacting a very uniform policy that might not fit everyone, they can leave it up to the clubs, they can leave it up to the individual cities to handle that on their own. I, I Hopefully that's the happy medium between those two things. Yeah, I'm on the same boat as Josh. I think if you take it too far as to say this is how each team is doing it and this is the standard, I think that's very foolish and not understanding that each city is in such a different spot. Um, like you mentioned, comparing Los Angeles to Colorado, like that's just ridiculous. No one would do that. Why would you do that? Um, but Andrew, our site expert, Andrew wrote a really good article about the closing of the Development Academy and why he thinks it's a positive. And in that story, um, he wrote that the DA was formed not to offer kids the chance to play, but rather the opportunity for Major League Soccer teams and the U.S. Men's National Team to grow and develop elite professional players. So what I take from that is that this is much more than just MLS teams. I think this is a nationwide thing that you're trying to not let as few talented soccer players fall through the cracks as possible. Um, although we know that great athletes fall through and we miss great athletes in every sport all the time. But I think if this MLS Youth League wants to accomplish its mission of eventually getting these players to one day compete at the U.S. Men's National Team level and with their MLS clubs, then if they strict a very uniform policy like Josh said, I think that would be very counterintuitive to what this mission is, which is to develop the most and best talent that this country can produce. So I think sticking very uniform and sticking only MLS teams would be very foolish and very not going with the mission, which is to develop as many players as we can. Okay, and I guess to go off that a little bit, do you think this should be intercontinental? Like, do you think it should incorporate Canadian teams as well? Do you think it should just be specifically for the American MLS teams and American teams uh, all over the country that may not have an MLS team in their city? Yeah, that's that's a tough one because you mentioned, I mean, like Andrew said, like the, the mission is to develop talent for MLS and the U.S. men's national team, which that creates a very interesting situation for Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto. So I think... I don't know um, how you include Canadian cities into that um, because obviously you don't want to be producing, you know, you don't want to be taking talent away, but that is an interesting situation um, because then you get in the Canadian Premier League and you got teams there. Um, like I think FC Edmonton has a team. Um, so I think maybe you stick in the United States and let Canada Canadian teams maybe follow a model very similar to this, but that I think I'm, yeah, I want to stay, stay inside the States. Um, Cause like I said, I think the mission is to eventually produce U.S. men's national team players. Um, so I think I would say stay within the States back borders, but that's just me. Now looking at MLS's statement about their, this is from the, the league website from MLSsoccer.com in, in their press release or whatever about, MLS launching this new competition for youth academies, there is a paragraph about how the competition will include both regional and national tournaments with international teams. So it does look like they're going to include, I'm assuming they're referring to just Canada. Now in an earlier paragraph, 
Todd Durbin, the MLS EVP of Competition and Player Relations. He said, quote, as we look ahead to the 2026 FIFA MLS World Cup here in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, now more than ever it is incumbent on us to establish competition that establishes a new standard for elite youth play and allows athletes to achieve their full potential, end quote. So it does seem like they will make an effort to include Canada in this. I, it just doesn't seem like it'll, it'll be across the board. It, it, they're making it sound like there will be a few tournaments to incorporate some international competition, but not all the way through an entire season. Can I propose a potential happy medium? Go for it. Of course. So I think that they should incorporate the three Canadian MLS teams, but that's it. I think that they let the CPL grow the game in Canada and then MLS incorporate their three teams in Toronto, Montreal, and Edmonton, just so that Toronto, Edmonton, or Toronto FC, uh, Vancouver, and Montreal, not Edmonton, um, so that they still have a very high quality of play because the CPL is obviously still growing. Like they realistically, apart from last year when Vancouver were utter garbage, CPL are not on the same level as MLS. And frankly, it would just be holding back those three MLS teams, which the system in MLS already is against Canadian teams. Uh, You can argue that all you want. Like it's just a fact, like the way the green card system works, it's, fairly biased against Canada in my opinion um so I think just incorporating those three teams in the MLS entire system I think it makes a lot of sense especially with how close these teams are like Vancouver uh, Vancouver is to Seattle and Toronto and Montreal are to New York to New England to all those other uh northeastern cities and franchises I feel like it just makes a lot of sense to include them in MLS because a lot of times it does feel like you're outsiders with the way that the rules are made and the way that the systems sort of run. Like you look at how Toronto FC went to MLS Cup final last year and they didn't even qualify for Champions League. It's just, it's something that Canadian teams have to deal with. And I think this could be a potential happy medium where you provide them with the opportunity to be involved and give them the choice of saying, you know what, we'd rather go with our own national team and try to incorporate the Canadian system uh, or get involved in the U.S. and all of that money that's there instead of the obviously lesser budget that would be in Canada right now. Yeah, you make a good point. I think it is interesting having this, having a league that spans across countries raises a lot of questions that MLS has to deal with that no other league has to deal with and yeah I mean like we talked about the goal of this is to develop talent both for the U.S. national team but also MLS and you can't say it's to develop talent for MLS when you're taking away those three teams but it seems kind of counterintuitive to include three Canadian teams when you might be developing talent for the U.S. men's national team so it is interesting it's a hard balance um but Connor how do you feel if so, if these three teams are included, which Josh mentioned that it looks like they might be in there a little bit, do you think that it's kind of leaving the CPL in a situation where they can't really fend for themselves? Definitely not. Like you look at CPL, and yes, there are the two teams that definitely are very, very um, strict rivals between a uh, CPL team and an MLS team in York Nine, which rivals Toronto FC, and Pacific CPL, which rivals Vancouver but 
realistically, they're pull, already pulling from a smaller group of players. And CPL is growing, and it's a very up-and-coming and promising league. And they're, it's just so early in the stages that I don't think incorporating these three MLS teams will really impact the CPL that much because they're already in such a smaller position. Even though they do have massive investors, like the Ottawa team that was just announced this year is owned by Atletico Madrid. So there's still money there, there's still infrastructure there, and incorporating these three MLS teams in this MLS Academy League, it really won't impact CPL much in my opinion. But I may be wrong. It may just catastrophically destroy York 9 and um, the team out in Va- uh, on Vancouver Island and just decimate their hopes of creating good academies. I just... I don't see it happening with the fact that there are teams that aren't necessarily near these major markets like Edmonton and Ottawa. And I believe there's potentially a team in Halifax, although I can't remember if it's Halifax specifically. There are still options. And to just simply state that having these three three teams is going to take the entire player pool of these MLS clubs and these CPL clubs is Canada's a big country. It's not really going to have that issue because kids aren't necessarily going to want to travel from Thunder Bay, which is 10 hours from Toronto Drive. They're not necessarily going to want to come to Toronto when they could go to a team in, say, Saskatchewan. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, yeah, Canada's so spread out and cities are not... The cities are close to American cities in cases like you mentioned, Vancouver and Seattle. But that is an interesting point that you made about how the cities... Like, I think... I don't know... Canada geography very well, but you have like Calgary, which kind of feels like it's in its own little area, not around a lot. But that is a good point, mentioning how far away these cities are. Yeah, Calgary is very close to Edmonton. Those are two very close countries. Uh, Vancouver and Vancouver Island are very close. But then you get into the prairies where it's, again, like Calgary, Edmonton is just a thing. Then there's Regina and Saskatchewan, which is just its own thing. Manitoba is pretty spread out. Um, And then Ontario, when you get into the north... Apart from the south, which is Toronto GTA, which includes York, it's again pretty spread out. And Montreal and Quebec City, which are two big cities in Quebec, they're not exactly close. And then I guess in the east, like the Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, which thoughts are with Nova Scotia right now after what happened yesterday. That was just brutal. Um, it's They're pr- relatively close. So it's a smaller player pool, but again, it's just... When you really think about it, it shouldn't affect things that much. Yeah, that is interesting. And yeah, like Josh mentioned in the statement, um, they did talk about potentially having these Canadian teams thrown in there. Um, and to what extent they have them in this competition um, remains to be seen. And it's a pretty interesting question to see how this is all going to be handled. Because yeah, this is all really new. The DA ended abruptly. And then it felt like before we knew anything more about the ending of the DA, this MLS Youth League came up. So it's all been really sudden, but it's a really exciting time. And it's interesting. Um, like we talk, keep saying, it's very unprecedented times. We No one knows what to do because this has never happened before. So it's interesting to see MLS, how they're handling scheduling, um, what they're going to do at the season, um, U.S. soccer, how they're handling the soccer as a federation and teams in general we forgot to even mention that um in that announcement um they did also mention that u15 u16 u17 u18 u19 for both men and women's teams are canceled as well as u23 for women 
So, like we talked about, when you're having these players, whether they be in the DA or whatever they're in, their seasons are just abruptly coming to an end. And I don't even want to think about what that's like, having your season just end as a 15-year-old kid because of something that you couldn't control at all. So it's a really interesting situation that U.S. soccer is in, for sure. Yeah, a couple of things before I think we end, because we've been going for a long time. Um, first of all, I don't think that necessarily the shutting down of those teams is that surprising, especially with COVID-19. Like, I feel like it was sort of inevitable, and they're just sort of getting it out of the way now, along with the announcement of the DA closing. But I do want to ask you one thing, because it did say international, and it mentioned Mexico. Really quickly, do you guys think that Mexico will be involved in a serious way in this development league? And uh, I guess we can do two yes-nos. Do you think that MLS and Liga MX and that league system they have, do you think at some point they will merge? I'll go ahead and say... For the first one, yes, I think they'll get involved. I think they made a point to include Mexico in that statement. For the second one, um, I will also say yes. I think MLS and Liga MX will eventually merge. Personally, I don't like the idea. We can save that for later, though. But I'll go ahead and say yes, I do think eventually down the line they will merge into one big league. Um, you know, I don't know. Again, like you, yeah. That is tough because you think of, well, how serious are these teams going to be in? And I don't know if I would say that they're seriously going to be involved. Um, I think it's going to be this kind of weird situation where they're in there, but they're not. And they're obviously like MLS teams. So I don't think they'd be seriously involved. Um, I, I'm going to I'm going to go the exact opposite route as Josh. I'm going to say no for both. Um, yeah, I think that because there was an article on MLS I'm trying to pull it up but it was that it was about how this MLS Youth League provides an interesting situation for both leagues to kind of continue this rivalry um, between MLS and Liga MX um, continue this rivalry on a youth scale so I think these are going to be very separate things Um, so I don't see them merging and I really don't see uh, Mexico being very heavily involved in this. But yeah, we don't know. No one really knows what's going on. This is interesting. This is a new thing. But yeah, like Connor said, we've been talking for a while. So thanks guys for listening. Um, that wraps up our MLS Multiplex podcast episode. Thanks to Josh and thanks to Connor for joining us. I really had fun talking with you guys. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. It was a ton of fun. Hopefully I can come back Hope pretty soon, but We'll see. But yeah, so during this break, uh, writers are still making really good stuff on the website. Um, so be sure to check out the website, mlsmultiplex.com. Uh, we're keeping stuff going out for you guys, really good articles. Um, be sure to follow us on social media. Uh, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Josh at Josh underscore Bolin, and Connor at CWG Somerville. Um, and MLS Multiplex at MLS Multiplex. So be sure to check out the website, check us out on social media. Um, we got really good stuff during this break, and we hope that the articles in this podcast are helping everyone stay in a good spot um, as we go through this together. And yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, be ready for an episode next week, and stay safe. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. You can check out all the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.